Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Palate Exposure, featuring Ilona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and a variety of guests that shape the way we enjoy life. Hello, uh, I'm here with Jean Hofliger. You guys know him as a megastar in Napa Valley. I absolutely have loved all of his wines over the years. I don't know how many you guys have tasted. He has a lot of consulting projects. You need to really figure out what he's doing if you don't already because he's involved in so many exciting wine projects all over the world. So you may know him from AXR or Alpha Omega, but there's much more to the story. And today I am so excited because we get to dive, take a deep dive into Jean's mind and palate. I have wondered for years, decades actually, about how winemakers taste. It's this mysterious thing and sometimes can be very opaque, um, but there's a lot of joy in it and there's a lot of emotional value to it. And I cannot wait to dig in. We will start with the obvious. We are recording today in the times of COVID and that comes with its own set of hardships and modifications, one of which is you cannot taste in person with your fellow winemakers and uh, viticulturalists and whoever else is involved in the process. So uh, it has to be done virtually, right? That is correct. Actually, for the first time yesterday, I did a virtual blending session where uh, Wirtulosa Winery sent, uh, sent me a set of samples and they have the same set of samples down at the winery uh, in San Luis Obispo in the Edna Valley. And um, we tasted both and I started blending, uh, you know, the blends that I wanted to make with, with Frederick, the, the winemaker, and he did the same and we could just do it all virtually and, and, and it was it was fairly, uh, fairly interesting actually, very different because you usually get the human touch, you know, the presence, the, 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 but, but, but it worked fairly well actually. So Frederick Delaware is French, right? That, yeah, nobody's perfect. Yeah, I know. So that's one strike against him, but do you guys speak in... French when you taste? So, so usually we do, but the, because, because <laughs> that material for some uh, uh, training of the staff uh, at the winery and, and, and we, we actually maintained it and kept it, but I think mostly in English. Yeah, I mean, I just so often wanted to be a fly on the wall um, when you're doing your thing and I'm curious about even the minute details, like what type of notes you exchange. So your palatal journey started long ago and far away in a different kingdom. Um, those of you that haven't heard the first episode, shame on you. Jean needs to, I mean, excuse me, you need to listen to it because Jean has, is such a storyteller and he painted such a 3D image of what it was like for him to grow up and how he started. He was very transparent, brutally honest, but it's so much fun to listen to. So you guys need to, totally tune in and um, hear it from him, but I'll just sum it up. It basically started with him hating accounting, <laughs> hating lawyering, and he found himself in the cellar. And he came to it very organically, meaning that he really wasn't planning to be in the wine world and the wine business, become a winemaker. It just happened. And in a, to a large extent, what it sounded like to me, what led him there is really his internal um, dialogue that he had with himself and what he experienced on a pure sensorial level. 
Um, so I'm going to let you pick it up from here. What was that very first experience when you didn't just drink wine as an you know, alcoholic beverage? What was it like? Yeah. It, well, first, first, of course, it, it comes from education, like everything. I think it's, it's really important to understand that, that education is, is the key to society and to the following generations. And, and in my household and my family, wine was always part of, of dinners, of lunches, and, 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 and of gathering for the social aspect of it. You know, it's not a luxury good in the U.S., like it is in the U.S. over there, it's a good daily consumption good. And so every time I, we had, you know, a, a family reunion, a family dinner, other there'd be there'd be wine, you know, for 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 for, for most people at the table at the table. So I was exposed, you know, through, through my parents, and probably had my my first you know sip of wine when I was I don't know four or five years old, something like that, uh, you know, with with and then I remember extremely clearly later in life, around ten or so, uh, being able to have a tiny bit of wine diluted in a lot of water just for the just for the the the, the, the organ organoleptic for the aromatic component of it it was a it was fairly fairly interesting actually and um, and uh, I actually explained that these stories to my to my son uh, Arthur one day uh, you know and 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 one day he came to dinner and I had a actually I can tell you exactly I had a 1994 Maya. Uh, that a friend of my uh, mine opened because he was going back and moving back to France, and uh, and Arthur just picked up the bottle, put it in a glass, and put water on top. And I told him, Do you know that that's a very expensive wine that you just did, <laughs> and, and 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 I'm happy. I don't care. It's it's part of this training and and, and and him discovering the same way. But that was kind of the first type of exposure that I had to wine. But the first real. <laughs> aromatic experience I had is when when I asked the winemaker at my godfather's place at, at Fonjala in Epes and, and Guy was his, was his name and and we're supposed to, to, to taste a bunch of, 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 of different tanks, 56, 62, somewhere like that. Uh, above 55, I know that. And, 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 and for the first time, he made me uh, uh, um, uh, um, taste a bunch of different tanks a bunch of different wines, and one of which had a clear uh, uh, note of artificial banana. Uh, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, today I don't remember because it's not a yeast that I use a lot, but it's it's yeast seventy one or seventy two B, a strain of yeast that is that is very used in, in, in Beaujolais Nouveau, and 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 that had that clear, uh, you know, uh, artificial candy banana like, and and it's the first time that I really kind of. Uh, realized the wide diversity of, of, of aromatics that you can find in, in, in wine. And, and it was the first time, and honestly, it keeps up piling uh, because I've, I've done over the years, and today I taste maybe 50 wines per day, every day, seven days a week on average through the year. Uh, so a lot of, a lot of different wines, uh, obviously during this COVID-19 era, a little bit less, but, uh, but I'm sure I will, I will, um, I will catch up, uh, you know, through the year and through harvest, uh, uh, without a doubt. Uh, but, but the, the aromatic diversity of, of, of wine is, is, is endless. And, and so you build up, you build up that library quite, quite a lot. And, and over time, and I actually do special trainings, uh, with, a nose, a guy that does uh, perfume making, and, and 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 that helps me with with smells to do constant training. It's a five six six class 
a course that I do over a period of four or five years and, and restart when I'm done to maintain a certain uh, a certain aromas and a certain activity in the, in the nose and diversity of aromas. Uh, I also always keep the same routine every time that I that I that I go in the morning. I have the same routine. I drink the coffee at a certain time, an hour before going to work. On my way to work, and then I usually taste in the morning, not influenced by food or, or anything. I never eat during tasting. I never drink during tasting, not even water. So your palate is accustomed, you know, to, to the same conditions. Uh, of course, chemically you change. So you have to recognize sometimes that as well, that that if, if you are in a blending session or in a, in a tasting, and a lot of the wine have the same characteristics, it's usually you, it's usually actually the person, you know, that, that, that is there. But there's really two ways of tasting. And you have to understand that. One is aromatically, like we described, with, with uh, you know, certain smell, certain aromas, certain, and in that you usually, I usually focus on that unfinished wines. Why? Because I really don't see the benefits of, of focusing on that when I make wine, because these aromas change too much. They're too, they're too volatile. They change through fermentation, through aging, through bottling. So it's something that is really something that I don't focus on. When I blend and make wine, I focus on much more the structure, uh, the acidity, things that don't change. Uh, the tanning content, the tannic content, uh, of course, the, the, the mouth feel of the, of the wine. And these are fairly easy. You know, anybody can, can kind of take a wine and let the impression of the wine jump. Is it fresh? Is it not? Is it tannic and drying? Is it not? Are the tannins, you know, uh, granular and pointy like little dots on a piece of paper? Or are they angular and sharp like a knife? Uh, um, is it soft and velvety? Is it harsh and austere? These are these are impressions that anybody can actually have, and these are for me the much more important impression in wine. Uh, when the wine is after bottle, when the wine is actually a finished product, when you actually pop the cork of these wines, like I do every night at 5.30 on, 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 on different platforms, uh, this is a different issue. That's when you analyze the true depth of the personality of the person. It's like, uh, you know, meeting somebody in the street and, and meeting a beautiful person that is aesthetically pleasing. Uh, you know, you see that, oh, it's, they're aesthetically pleasing and you move on. But when you go in depth, of the final product is much more analyzing the personality of your best friends, your family, your, your, your children, your parents, uh, where you have a much more, you know, deep involvement. And usually that's what you do on a finished wine. That's where you actually check on these harshness, this complexity, this mouthfeel, but also check on all the different aromatic level of the wine that you can smell or taste. And then I think that, that that's, uh, you know, it's, it's really important. And one thing that you have to realize, I think if I remember correctly, the statistics, 65 to 70% of the aroma we smell is actually through the nose, not so much the mouth, right? So, so, so it's, it's completely different. And I, I more and more, when I write uh, tasting notes and, 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 you know, for, 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 for clients that want an aromatic description of the wine, it's usually the nose is much more about the aromas, the smells and the fruitiness or stuff like that. And the mouthfeel is much more about the structure, the tannins, the acidity and stuff like that. So I decompose that tasting uh, accordingly to these different, different profiles. 
I'm still chewing on 50 wines 365 days a week. So I did a quick calculation. That's 18,250 wines, approximately, that you get to taste every year. So for most of us, that's an overwhelming number. I think most of us probably taste 50 in a year. <laughs> so um, that's quite something. I sometimes refer to you as an Olympian of wine tasting. But as I thought about it while I was listening to you, it's more like, a phenomenal library. You, you like this stage that sits on pile. <laughs> because it, you know, the palatal memory has to be formed. It's well trained. Not, not to not acknowledge that, but also what files away over the years and, and that intensity of training that you undergo. But, but you also focus on different things at different times. Uh, during harvest, to give you an example, uh, I don't know, I taste 350, 350 wines per day, roughly. Uh, I don't decompose all the wine precisely to, to know about the, you know, the, mac, the roasted almonds or the macadamia nuts or the, the Madagascar vanilla. This, these are things that I don't even focus on. I focus on certain characteristics of the wine at specific times when they are. And, and so it goes much faster. You know, you're really looking during, during fermentation at certain specific characteristics of the wine. So, so instead of looking at, I don't know, 200 different components or 600 different components, you're really looking for four or five and you just target that. And, and so it's a very different thing, just like the same, the, the same goes later in the life of wine. You know, you focus on different things. Look, it's like, it's like people again. If you compare people, you're not going to expect a six months old, like my little Benjamin, uh, you're not going to look for a speech. You're not going to look for integrity of, 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 of heart. You're not going to look for, you're going to look for his development skills and, and the movement and does he laugh and does he hold his bottle does he sleep through the night you know so, so so you focus your research your thinking your analytical views on something much much closer and i think that that's all the way to the point uh, uh, my dear that is for me probably one of the most important key factor in my career and why I'm only mainly drinking wine on, 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 on my own time is because I need to be able to switch off the analytical and then enjoy the wine as a product. And so when I open a bottle, like I do when I have guests or when I'm at home, the first sip or two are really analytical, the nose, the, yeah. I think about, okay, what do I think about that wine? I usually tend to do it at the end of the bottle as well to see how it evolves. But in between, I turn off and I just enjoy the product because you can't, I can't sacrifice the pleasure of life, the pleasure of wine uh, uh, all the time. You know, I, I do it for work all the time where it's analytical, thoughtful, methodical, and so on and so on. At one point, I need a life and a pleasure too. And that's when I switch off. And, and, and people should do that as well. You, you plunge, you submerge yourself in the glass of wine that you're tasting. First by, of course, opening, looking at the color, seeing if you see a lot of redness, a lot of depth, a lot of darkness in the robe uh, of the wine and the color of the robe. If you see a lot of orange, uh, you know, it means that usually it's a little bit an older wine. Then you swirl it to open the wine a little bit to bring air into, and you put it to your nose, you smell it. And at that time, I always say to people, close your eyes, let, let it, let it take you, let it, let it carry you through life, let it carry you through your own experience 
through your own memory database of, 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 of not only smells, but, but whatever it reminds you. Sometimes wines remind me of a piece of art. Sometimes wine reminds me of a, of a, of a person, a character, a, a movie, whatever it is, a poem. Uh, it, it's really to people to feel the expression, just like art. Sorry to say, but one of the weirdest experiences I've ever had, we didn't have time with my good old friend Aurelien, uh, uh, who lives in Barcelona now, and who's a childhood friend from, from, from France, who's a movie producer. And, 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 and we, we went to visit Madrid. And and we're in Madrid, we're 17, 18, 16 years old, whatever. And and we smoked a lot of weed at that time. So we're high most of the time, uh, you know, doing it. And we suddenly realized that we're supposed to go home and we have not visited the Prado, right? The, one of the greatest museums of the world. Yeah, of course, we're teenagers, you know, going there to party as much as, as anything. Uh, obviously, we're staying with my, my cousin who was living there for, for her studies at the time. So... And we said, we can't go home without visiting the Prado. And we decided to actually run through the Prado. Run, not walk, run, because we didn't have time. But I promise you that when we're struck by the beauty of an art piece, we stop. Well, wine is exactly the same. If the wine creates an emotion, you will stop. And when you do stop, just Make sure you attach a memory, the memory of the place you are, the memory of the people you are with, the memory of your life at that time, or something that it reminds you of. And that's really, for me, the proof that wine is an art. So we tend to talk um, about the positive. And by the way, I felt like giving you a standing ovation. That is so powerful what you just said. So let's acknowledge that first. This is an amazing comparison. In my mind, um, those two entities are probably the most synergistic, uh, art and wine, because you know neither is objective. It's a subjective uh, form of art and in both um, regards. And the thing is, if you attach to it, it's the best thing you've ever seen. If you don't, it could either be neutral or you might be really turned off. And that's what I was going to ask you about. We almost always talk about the positive, the joys and the pleasures and the deliciousness of wines um, throughout the spectrum from professional to just strictly hedonic. Do you have just as powerful of a reaction when you really hate the wine? I learn as as much from a wine that I dislike than for one that I do. Uh, uh, um, and, and sometimes actually more. Um, there's only one wine that I have a physical reaction to that I really dislike. And I won't name it because yeah. I push anybody. And it's actually fairly funny because I like a lot of the other wine of that producer and winemaker. But that varietal on on that estate of that particular guy gives me a really bad reaction. It just, just does not sit well. And it's cross vintage because I was even blind tasted on that wine uh, uh, by my better half who actually enjoys that wine. And that's a subjectivity factor. Uh, and, and, and I was blind tasted and I had the same reaction, uh, uh, you know, so, so, 
Yes, I, I do, but, but it's rare that I see a wine undrinkable. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, um, it's, it's rare if it doesn't have a major fault. Uh, but yeah, there's wines that have weaknesses. But again, just like humans, we all do. And so I tend to find and focus if I have to drink it. Like people are very often afraid or intimidated by, by having me for dinner or lunch. Because they're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to serve him? He drinks wine all year and, and exposed to great wines and stuff like that. And I tell them, serve me what you drink, what you usually drink. Because, because I will enjoy it. Look, let's be, let's be honest. Two buck chuck is actually a great wine. Because at that price point, to reach these quality levels is actually a stunning success. My God, half the country just breathed a sigh of relief. They don't have to be in the closet of drinking Tobac Chuck anymore. It's sort of home. Uh, you know, White's in. Same thing. It, it, it's, 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 it's a niche that they found that is really popular, that is something that obviously has a, a market segment that loves it and is bringing people to wine, which has ultimately the capacity of self-educating themselves. Consumers self-educate in wine. So, so no, of course not. I don't, I don't think that, that outside of that one wine that I, that, that I talked about, or wine that have true faults. When people put in a bottle wines that have microbiological biological deviance, uh, you know, uh, 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 and do it anyway, yeah, these wines usually I less and less take the time to drink them. Uh, 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 and I usually, you know, either use them for cooking or, or, or trash them and put them down the drain because, because for me it's, it's disrespectful. Uh, you, we can all make mistakes, and I've made mistakes, you know, uh, in my career of making wines that were not really perfectly made, and, and this happens to the best of us. I, yesterday, I, 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 uh, I, I was sent a wine that I made that unfortunately, uh, 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 you know, re-fermented in the bottle uh, because the bottling line did not put a sterile cartridge on on the line and so i was just given it's a wine that was sent to abroad and i was just made aware that right before shipping uh, somebody tasted it and, and it's re-fermenting in the bottle it's not my fault ultimately you know also of course thank god it's only 60 cases of a of a, of a special label for somebody but we'll have to pull it all out and 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 redo it reblend it and and then rebottle it Whatever it's, it's it's it happens. These type of things happens for many different reasons. Sometimes it is your fault and your, and your mistake. Sometimes it's not. So, you know, it happens, and, and you learn from it. And, and in this case, uh, you know, we, we we obviously have a fault from the bottling line uh, that 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 will pay for all the you know the, the rebottling and and, and and the refiltering of of the wines and the reblends and, and so, et cetera, et cetera. But 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 all all this. It, it it's always comes back to something very important. Never think you're above anything else. I can promise you I'm not better than people that produce $5 bottles of wine because it's a really difficult challenge. And, you know, to make 2 million cases at a really high level is a much harder exercise than to making 200 cases at $250 because usually you can go and really pick certain, uh, you know, you have certain infrastructures, certain grapes, certain no cost spared. So it's a very different equation. And so 
I just don't judge. I try to not judge and, and try to, again, make sure that I respect the equation of people that did it. And, and I think sometimes people have no resources. You know, I have certain clients that are taking wineries, uh, you know, that, that have absolutely no resources, but want to, you know, uh, continue the, the legacy of their family. And, and they have to invest into their infrastructure as profit comes in. Well, it's still my job to make great wines out of, out of less. And I think it's harder and sometimes it's, it's, it's not possible, uh, to, you know, to go to the level that you want, but you always can find ways to better the product. I just want you guys to focus on something with me. I was kind of uh, chewing in what you said mentally and as I was processing it, one thing kept coming up. You truly are a consumer winemaker, Jean. I think that's what sets you apart from a lot of talent. Napa is obviously a mecca for, you know, fantastic um, winemaking, viticultural talent. But the way that you conduct yourself as a human, first and foremost, but also as a professional, is that you always keep consumer in mind. I think what you said really honors a lot of people's palates and wallets and point of view for that matter, because, because no. go ahead. Thank you, because I think I'm a consumer first. Yeah. I mean, my passion for wine cannot be full if I don't enjoy that as my choice, alcoholic choice of beverage, you know, the beverage of choice. And so, so because I usually don't drink what I make, except older later in life, because by the time it's in the bottle, you know, I've tasted it 50 times, 100 times, and, and I know the personality of the wine, uh, you know, and, and as I like to say, you don't want to read a book that you wrote. Uh, uh, it, it, what's the point ultimately? So the wine evolves and changes, and you, and you often ask to, to taste wines that, that, that you made anyways. But, but because I buy so much wine, I'm a wine buyer, I'm a wine collector, I think I have 9,000 models, if I remember correctly, roughly, today in my wine cellars. Why? Because it represents my mood. I'm in a mood for an amazing Spotswood Sauvignon Blanc. I'm in a mood for, a mood for a Coche du Riz Chardonnay. I'm in a mood for, uh, you know, an outstanding, I don't know, Newton, old vintage. I'm in a mood. That's my mood. And I want to buy and purchase these wines. So, when I have these moods, I fit them. But what does that mean? It means that I have to judge also the wine through the eyes of the people drinking it and respecting their own perception. You know, and I think that's absolutely key. And it's absolutely key on all parts of the business, Lona. It's absolutely key on, on ratings because a lot of people say, oh, ratings, ratings, ratings. Sure, but you have to learn through ratings. I was just emailing with, with the big boss of the, of, the, of the wine advocate today, this morning, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and saying how I thought it was absolutely great that they sent an email this morning saying three months free of a subscription to Parker for people so they have something to do. I mean, I don't, I don't of course, it's, it's, a, it's just a great creative mindset. And in every part of that business, you have to see 
people what they do in their orientation and respect it. And I think that when you in love with wine, the way I am, you have to respect what people try to do. You have to respect what people encounter because you never know what is their origin, their background, their deadlines, uh, their circumstances and stuff like that. And so you have to understand. And one of my favorite exercises today in tasting wines is to actually understand what was tried, what was the purpose of these wines, by smell and by taste. Was it, was it this that they were trying to accomplish? What is this that they, 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 they did not? What was, you think, what was the vintage like in these wines? What type of winemaking did they apply? Because again, then it becomes what? It becomes the book, the movie that I told you about. You drink a wine, and I make up my own movie. I make up my own story. But everybody could do that. You tonight can take a glass of wine and say, let's make this movie. And, and Kaufman, a French journalist, taught me a really impression, important lesson early in life. Kaufman, who was jailed during the Lebanon war, war uh, as a journalist for four years, five years, if I remember correctly, said, One thing that they kept him alive was to review all the aromatic profile description of all the wine he ever tasted. Well, if wine becomes a story to yourself, to, to, to your tasting buds, if you really let yourself go in that direction, it's an endless journey. It is indeed, and it's a fun one. And um, again, so much to unpack. So um, let's talk about ratings for just a moment because I want to highlight what you said. Um, there are those of us that pay very close attention, and in the industry, there's some pejorative comments that get made in my world. Well, this person just pays attention to ratings. Let me just say declaratively, nothing wrong with you. Ratings is indeed um, a, basically a metric that you can use to guide you because you are not able to taste thousands of wines. So somebody else, for example, like the critic you cited earlier, which is Lisa Perotti-Brown, who succeeded uh, Robert Parker, who retired in Wine Advocate. You know, she has a trained palate. She tastes a lot of wines. And clearly yours stand out powerfully to her because Jean Hofflager did not lack in high scores. And there will be a website link posted where you can review all his prowess. So let's just give him credit where it's due. He impresses This, he knocks the socks of all the critics across the board, which is amazing because usually there's disparity. So let's give some validity to the numbers because it's important. It's the body of work that gets reviewed by your peer, or peers in this case, and they're duly impressed. Having said that, wine is a personal exercise. So what you meet, what, what type of movie, as Jean so succinctly put, in your own experience is just as important. And giving yourself the opportunity to do that is just a hell of a lot of fun. So there's nothing wrong with opening a magazine and saying this wine scored 95 points, I'm gonna buy it. But then once you have it on your table, you tasting it with your friends, family, even alone, there's nobody, you know, Lisa's not sitting down with you, Jean's not sitting down with you. It's just you and you. So have, so much fun with it. Take every opportunity to extract the most out of it. You already paid for it. 
you know it's a great bottle of wine. Now, what are you going to do about it? That's when the fun starts, right? Yeah, uh, it, it is. But, you know, you, you took the, uh, the example of Lisa. Lisa Parody Brown is, is actually a, an outstanding taster, for example. I mean, I, I, I talk to her, uh, you know, when, when we taste together uh, or when we, we, we find ourselves in social environments and stuff like that. She has such a really acute palate and, and, and they, they all do with their own palate. And then when I talked to Parker and he didn't like some of the wines back in the days, well, he said, it's only my palate today. It's extremely humbling. But these guys taste so much wine, have the ability to review so many different regions of the world all the time that you have to listen. And I think the best way to say is, 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 is to find the people that, that you kind of get along with, that you understand, that have a palate that kind of resembles yours. And then you can use them as a really great indicator of, of what you should try because no, you don't have the ability to taste and buy all the wines that these people taste. It's absolutely impossible, but it is true. And, and Lona, you bring a very, nobody else can tell you what and how to like a wine. It is very a personal experience. It's a very subjective experience. And, 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 and I think you should trust your palate because, you know, some people like certain things and others don't. And I don't like the blue period of Picasso and other people being paying millions for that. So, so I use that, that, that correlation because it, it's really the truth because it just doesn't make, give me an emotion. And I'm sure there's plenty of art majors in the world that I'm going to tell me that I'm an ignorant uh, dumbbell uh, for not liking that period of Picasso. Okay, maybe, but, but it still doesn't mean that it creates an emotion. So, so it's really, it's really important to, to, to realize that because I think it is a true part of the beauty of wine. Don't be afraid to express your taste. Don't be afraid to express your perception, your imagination, your liking of a wine, including to Lisa Parody Brown, Alona, or me, or whoever. Because if it's a wine that I make and you don't like it, you're not wrong. The conclusion of this interview can be found in the next podcast, already available for your download. Thanks again for tuning in to the official podcast of Pal Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson. 